We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, more about Kirk Cameron's book being canceled in local libraries. And then I'm going to add to this the story of Ben Carson's name being removed from a public school in Detroit. This ongoing march to cancel anybody of exemplary character from our nation's public discussion is a symptom of a nation God manned. When we elevate the worst and cancel the best, we're lost. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Okay, good morning. Welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. I hope you had a good weekend. Today's topic is a little bit more on Kirk Cameron's story. The canceling of his story hour in local public libraries. So my argument on today's show is that this story of the canceling of Kirk Cameron's story hour in local public libraries is not just his story. It's our story. It's a nation's story. And if I have time, I'll get into the story of Ben Carson's name being removed from a public school in Detroit. It's the same thing. This is the story of a nation gone mad. This is the story of elevating the worst and canceling the best and raising up children to admire those people that lack character, self-discipline, self-control, lack the basic virtues of a free people, a free society. The seven virtues that the church has traditionally stood for, for example. The seven heavenly virtues that the church has traditionally held in juxtaposition to the seven deadly sins. And those seven virtues are charity, chastity, diligence, humility, kindness, patience, and temperance. I'll read those again. Charity, chastity, diligence, humility, kindness, patience, and temperance. This is essentially what Kirk Cameron's book calls for because he's reading about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These fruits of the Spirit that Kirk Cameron takes directly from the book of Galatians, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Galatia in the first century, where he identified the way we should behave as Christians, the way we should behave as mature adults. We should show the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a good way to behave. That's an adult way to behave. A mature human being shows that fruit in his life. If you claim to be a Christian, you act that way. You don't act the opposite way. And this is a direct overlay. There are parallels here, obviously, with what the church has identified as the heavenly virtues. Charity is in contrast to greed. Chastity stands in juxtaposition to lust. Diligence confronts our tendency to be slothful. Humility, well, obviously its antithesis is pride. Kindness stands in direct opposition to envy. Patience, rather than being wrathful. And temperance, rather than gluttony. 
Do you see what's going on right now? These cancel culture, thought police, the fact checkers, whatever you want to call them, the people that are running our public libraries, the librarians, their staff, as well as the academics, the elites, the teachers' unions. These people are trying to silence those of us that want to talk about good things while they elevate bad things. And they want to indoctrinate our kids to look askew, to look at the heavenly virtues in a negative way while they elevate the seven deadly sins. That's what's going on in these two stories today. Because you have two men, Kirk Cameron, who exemplifies the heavenly virtues, who exemplify the fruits of the Spirit. You have two men, Kirk Cameron and Ben Carson, who have done that throughout all of their lives, and they're being maligned. They're being told, no, they can't even read books in the public library. And they're being told that, well, we're going to take your name off of a building, a public school, because it never should have been there in the first place. Because you don't believe in greed and lust and sloth and pride and envy and wrath and gluttony as being good things. You're actually saying that you think those things are bad. It's really what's going on. And this is a stunning direction for our culture. So let's take a break. And when I get back, I'm going to start out by giving you an overview of the Kirk Cameron story again, and then we'll get into Ben Carson. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com the patriot auto group locally owned and operated the patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of oklahoma the patriot auto group's charitable work has been recognized throughout oklahoma whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery The Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Very quickly, I want to get into the story of Kirk Cameron's book being banned from public libraries. I talked about it last week very briefly, but I want you to remember this. So I'm going to give you an overview of that story again. And then hopefully I have time to lay over the top of this particular story, the Kirk Cameron story. Uh, the story of Ben Carson's name being taken off of a building, a public school in Detroit. It's the same thing, the same story, in my view. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay, so the story of Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron was banned from reading a book about love and self-control. 
at over 50 public libraries across the nation. Actually, the number is growing. I've heard that it's over 70-plus libraries at this point. Well, what's wrong with the book? It's a children's book that he's authored, and it's a book about um, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So essentially, Kirk Cameron has been banned from reading a children's book about love and self-control. Can you make this stuff up? You really can't. It's like we're having an Olympic competition of wokeness. And Kirk Cameron's story wins the gold medal for the week. The Kirk Cameron, if you remember who he is, he was a child, a teenage star in Growing Pains, a TV sitcom back in the 80s, was it, or 90s? I can't remember right now. But he's authored a new children's book. And as the result, he's being banned from hosting story hours at publicly funded libraries across the nation. That's essentially the context of the whole story. Cameron's book is titled As You Grow. Full stop right there. I would encourage all of you to go out and buy five or ten copies of it and give it away as gifts for Christmas. The title of the book is As You Grow. And what does the book teach to children? The values of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And again, that's straight from the book of Galatians in the Bible. So you can't read in our public libraries a book about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You can't read a book to children about love and self-control. Now, you might be listening to this and saying, no, that can't be true. That That has to be satire. Well, it's not. It is not satire. It is true. Here's Here's just a smattering of how the libraries from coast to coast are responding to the publisher's request for a public reading of Cameron's book. In Providence, Rhode Island, librarians said, and I quote, No, we will pass on having you run a program in our space. Our messaging does not align with yours. Close quote. In San Diego, the public library there, their, their response was essentially the same. When asked about having a public reading at their facility, they simply answered, this likely isn't something we would do, close quote. And down the road in San Lorenzo, California, their public library staff was even more blunt. They just replied, not interested in the conversation. And unless you think this is just a East Coast, West Coast thing going on, let's go to the heartland in Indianapolis. Their public library declared Cameron's book did not, and I I want you to listen to this. It did not comport with its strategic plan, their language, to, again, their language, contribute to a diversity of ideas focusing on racial equity, close quote. So (laughs) this is just nuts. Under their placard of diversity of personal views, you know, the stuff they like to talk about, we want diverse personal views. Under that placard, our public libraries from Rhode Island to California and everywhere in between, they're now admitting that they have no interest in anything that diverges from their personal views. So we want diversity of personal views, but if you diverge from our personal views, no, you're verboten. We don't want you here. They're openly boasting about their commitment to inclusion, but then they're saying that they will exclude anyone they don't wish to include. They're no longer even afraid to say it. They hate everyone that they've deemed hateful. They don't love anyone they consider to be unloving. And as for patience and kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Well, that's all just divisive intersectional rhetoric, especially if it's coming from the likes of Kirk Cameron or St. Paul or even God, for that matter. This is schizophrenic, it's duplicitous, it's self-refuting, it's hypocritical, it's stuff I talk about all the time on this show. It's literal pablum on parade. For decades, decades, any schoolboy could see that the left doesn't really care about diversity of thought. But now they're actually saying that they won't allow a public reading about something as essential to the public's well-being as faithfulness and self-control. They will allow no dissent. They openly shut down any discussion of anything and everything that they don't like. And you ought to be asking yourself the question, why? Well, the answer is really pretty simple. The progressive march for tolerance has never been honest. I've said it over and over again on the show. I'll say it again right now. The progressive march for tolerance has never been honest. It's always been little more than window dressing for ideological dominance that accepts nothing but complete submission. These self-styled advocates of peace are proving that they were never really truly interested in anything but crushing power. They don't want peace. They don't want to just all get along. They want to crush you if you don't agree with them, cancel you, take your name off buildings, exclude you from reading a children's book in a library that focuses on patience and kindness and goodness. The the images are pervasive in the daily news. The smug fact-checkers at Twitter and Facebook, and now even in your local library, they cancel anyone and everyone who does not believe everything they believe. No differences, no diversity. It's the rule of the gang. They're going to crush you. They're going to crush you. The gang is going to crush you. You cannot dissent from their march. It's, it's the cultural revolution of Red China. These, these immature adolescents, they're going to crush all dissent. It's a worldview of unquestioned and, and unchallenged authority. We talked about the difference between bumper stickers a few shows back. Well, their bumper sticker is conquest. It's not coexistence. They're interested only in lockstep compliance. They want nothing to do with a reasonable conversation. There's no intellectual freedom. It's all about pedantic fascism. It's, it's, it's an academic dystopia is really what it is. I think back to the classic, the timeless classic, Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickinson. We live in the best of times and the worst of times. This is an ongoing truth. The best of times and the worst of times. Maybe we should be talking about end times. Best of times, yes. Worst of times, yes. But maybe we should also add to that Dickens quote, the end times. An end to manners, an end to politeness, courtesy, dignity, mutual respect, an end to tolerance under the banner of tolerance, an end to feminism under the banner of Me Too, an end to women's rights under the banner of trans women, an end to children's rights under the banner of the right to groom children, an end to adults under the banner of adulting, and an end to love under their banner of love is love. Again, it's schizophrenic, it's duplicitous, it's hypocritical. 
This story of librarians denying Kirk Cameron his story hour is not just his story. It's a story about a country that has lost its way. A story about an infantilized nation where self-appointed thought police dominate the public square. On Facebook, on Twitter, during election seasons, and even every day at your local library. It's a tale not of our culture's best of times, but of its worst, a time when perpetual adolescents refuse to let a thoughtful adult like Kirk Cameron teach little children that a mark of adulthood is bearing the fruit of maturity. <laughs> That's essentially what this book is. It's a story of when a once great people proved they had lost their minds and damned their souls by not even allowing a man to read a book to kids about joy and goodness just because that man was a conservative Christian. And this story overlaps with the story that I just read this morning about Ben Carson's name being removed from a public school in Detroit. This one comes from Fox News. I'm sure it's reported elsewhere across the nation, but that's where I got it over the weekend. The headline on this one is, We work for Dr. Ben Carson. We know Dr. Ben Carson. Canceling him is just not right. Well, who's the we? It's a bunch of his employees at HUD, and they're writing a letter to the school system of Detroit saying this is wrong to take his name off of a building. Here's just what part of their letter says. We, former staff for Dr. Carson at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, write to set the record straight and celebrate the incredible accomplishments of the good doctor with the hope that more focus is shined on students and less on perceived political slights. They go on and they say this, Dr. Ben Carson was born into poverty in Detroit and raised by a single mother. He grew up attending Detroit public schools, and his mother worked multiple jobs to provide for him and his brother, Curtis. Although things were tough, they go on to say, his mother instilled in Dr. Carson and his brother the values of hard work, perseverance, and faith. Sound like the seven heavenly virtues, or perhaps the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, there's a great deal of overlap here. Perseverance, hard work, and faith. She taught them that through education, anything was possible in America. Thanks to these values, I'm going to emphasize this again right now. Let me get off of the letter. Thanks to these values, the seven heavenly virtues and the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, a hard work rather than sloth, the virtue rather than vice. Thanks to these values that his mother worked so hard to instill, Dr. Carson earned a full scholarship to Yale and began his undergraduate education there. After his time at Yale, he went to the University of Michigan School of Medicine and then to John Hopkins University for his neurosurgery program. This is who this man is. Let's stop and think about what he's accomplished. And these former employees of him at HUD are writing and saying, this is a slight, this is a political hatchet job, and you all should be ashamed of yourself. That's essentially what they're saying. And obviously, these employees are spot on. More from the letter. After residency, Dr. Carson returned to John Hopkins and served as director of pediatric neurosurgery. 
he said brain surgeon my land. He led 70 a 70 surgeon team to conduct the first successful separation of twins conjoined at the back of the head. This famed procedure thrust Dr. Carson into the national spotlight as one of the highest profile surgeons in the world, particularly due to his specialty in pediatric neurosurgery. This is a man who actually is trying to save the lives of children. He's committed his whole life to this. He grew up in poverty in Detroit. His mom worked multiple jobs to get him a decent education, trying to instill in him, and she did instill in him, goodness rather than evil. She instilled in him the fruits of the Spirit. She taught him to be loving and patient and kind and good, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled. She taught him all of these things. She, she taught him that sloth was bad and hard work was good. She taught him that, that greed was wrong and that caring for others was better than caring for yourself. She, she taught Dr. Carson how to understand the difference between free enterprise and socialism because socialism is grounded in greed and envy and free enterprise is gra- grounded in what? Self-control personal responsibility, moral culpability. More from the letter. After retiring, excuse me, after retiring from medicine, Dr. Carson launched a bid for the Republican nomination for president and served as the 17th secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Today, he continues his work as a founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute. What's that? Well, Carson founded this institute as a nonprofit Listen to this one. Aimed at restoring the four cornerstones of American greatness. When what are those? Faith, liberty, community, and life. Have you heard anything bad about the man? Okay, you've got all of these employees from HUD, government employees, employees that probably are on the different side of the political fence than him. Because probably most of these employees that he inherited, do you think maybe the majority of them are probably Democrat versus Republican? But yet they're writing this letter in defense of their former boss. This is what they go on to say. Dr. Carson is the epitome of the American dream. Only in our country could a poor boy from the inner city grow up to be a world-renowned neurosurgeon, a presidential candidate, and a cabinet secretary. Dr. Carson personifies the very promise of America through hard work, opportunity, and faith in something above himself. Just like Dr. Carson, we can achieve anything we set our minds to. (laughs) They're taking his name off of building in Detroit because they don't like his politics. They don't like the fact that he's accomplished something and that he gives credit for that accomplishment to God. Or, or let's, let's use his language. He gives credit for that accomplishment to the four cornerstones of American greatness. Faith, liberty, community, and life. Faith, believing in a God that you find in the Bible rather than the one you see in the mirror. Liberty, personal freedom, economic freedom, intellectual freedom, academic freedom, personal freedom. Private property, that's what liberty is all about. Being a classical liberal rather than being an intellectual fascist where you're trying to control and crush anybody who disagrees with you. Cancel them from public libraries or 
even take their names off of public schools. Dr. Carson is arguing that there are four cornerstones of American greatness. Belief in God, faith, the God of the Bible, not the one that you make up on a daily basis because you want to worship yourself rather than your creator. Liberty, personal freedom. Freedoms that are endowed to us by our creator, not made up and given to us by government. Freedom, liberty, given by God, not government. This is who Ben Carson is, and this is the story of his accomplishments. He, as they say in this letter, is the epitome of the American dream, and the left doesn't want anybody to be featured in the public square that shows or proves that the American system, the American dream, is actually a good thing rather than what they make it out to be, and that's a nightmare. A nightmare of intersectionality and unconscious, biased racism, uh, white supremacy, um, critical theory is the explanation for everything that takes place in America, uh, a nation of oppression rather than one of freedom. Now, they, anybody that steps forward and says, no, that's not true, I'm an example of why that's not true, whether it be Kirk Cameron, who rose to fame as a successful teenage TV star, who happens to be a committed Christian and wants to talk about those values that have been part of his life, that have given him meaning above and beyond any fame could have ever given him. Or Dr. Carson, who was raised in poverty in Detroit, now has a school, a public school with his name on it, a name that was put there years ago, but now they want to take it off. Why? Has he done anything wrong? Is there any story out there of him cheating on his wife, stealing luggage at a airport? You know what I'm talking about there. Do you have any example whatsoever of him even lying to the American people while he was in office? Is there any evidence whatsoever that Dr. Carson has any skeletons in his closet? No, there's nothing out there. This guy is clean. He's squeaky clean. And they don't like it because he stands for the seven heavenly virtues. And those seven heavenly virtues stand in direct opposition to the seven deadly sins. And our culture right now is celebrating those sins. For example, we have an entire month on the calendar right now to celebrate pride. Now, what was the antithesis of pride in the seven heavenly virtues? It's humility. Why aren't we calling for humility rather than celebrating pride? Pride is the downfall. Pride goes before the fall. Pride is not something that we should be marching in the streets celebrating. We should not create flags for pride. We should be humble. We should be contrite. We should ask for forgiveness because we aren't perfect. This is what Dr. Carson stands for, and this is what Kirk Cameron preaches. Both of these men believe that there are values, virtues, that are time-tested and enduring, and that they're not grounded in your opinion or mine. They're not political. These are permanent principles. They're immutable. They're unchangeable. They're grounded in natural law, and they're revealed to us not only in nature and in common sense, sense that's common, but they're revealed in the scriptures. 2,000-year-old writings that were inspired by God, breathed out by God, and have thereby served as the context for much of the good, if not all of the good, that we've experienced in Western civilization for the last couple thousand years. 
I've talked before about how we should be thankful for the church. Even if you're not a believer, you should be thankful for the church because from the church, we stopped the practice of infanticide. The Roman culture used to throw its unwanted babies in the garbage dump. It was called exposure. Because of the church, we've stopped slavery. It was William Wilberforce and those like him that fought against the slave trade. They were Christians. It was the church who established orphanages and built hospitals. It was the church that argued for personal freedom and that we can't bow to the king because God has given us individual responsibility and freedom to worship as we wish. It was the church that served as the context and the pretext for the United States of America. John Adams again, our Constitution is made only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So let's just wrap up the show with that quote laid over the top of the Kirk Cameron and Ben Carson story. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Personal responsibility, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, hard work rather than sloth, humility rather than pride. These are all ideas, virtues that are grounded in a biblical worldview. And any culture that starts disparaging those good things and elevating those bad things, tearing down good people, removing them from libraries and schools, and elevating bad people in their place, any culture that starts doing that is a culture that's lost, a culture that is blind, a culture that will lose its freedom in the blink of an eye. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.